Hello and welcome to another holy episode of Safe Station Radio. Ugh, that was really bad. Anyway, I'm your host Dustin with me is Connor. Hello there. They're usually bad, but not that bad. Got, got tripped up. It's called Halo. It's not yeah, that, religious. That, that was my thinking, and then I well. <laughs> it look. It's been a while since we've recorded one of these. You got to let them. You got to let it happen. Okay. Uh, yes. This week we are discussing Halo Combat Evolved, originally developed by Bungie, and released for the Xbox on November fifteenth, two thousand and one. A launch title actually on that it was also released on pc a couple years later september 30th 2003 that port was done by gearbox and then uh, they also released the halo custom edition march 15th 2004 which was sort of a, a version a multiplayer only version of halo pc that allowed for mods then we had halo combat anniversary which i believe was 2011 yes it was i had to scroll down uh, developed by 343 and Saber Interactive and Certain Affinity, um, November 15th, 2011, for the Xbox 360. Now, did did the original Combat Evolved Anniversary have multiplayer? No. Um, okay. It I think came, I remember hearing about that. It, it came with maps for Halo Reach. And I think if you loaded into multiplayer from that disc, you could play those maps which were remakes of Halo 1 maps, you could play them in that environment, just none of the Reach stuff, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. Yeah, obviously, the main way you're probably going to play this now is through the Master Chief Collection, which we'll probably talk about more in a future episode, but that actually has the multiplayer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot of versions we just talked about. Um, if you are somebody who's never played Halo, pick up the Master Chief Collection. <laughs> yeah, it's on... Um, Xbox One, Series X, obviously, and then PC as well. Yes. Um, but before we talk about, uh, you know, Halo and our general thoughts on it and versions and all that fun stuff, let's begin with a history segment. A rather detailed history segment. Yeah, so Halo is kind of a mess in terms of development, which is something I think we'll see a little bit further on with some of the other games, but none as much as this game. So Bungie actually started, um, I mean, I actually didn't look too far into the history of Bungie, mainly just Halo, but they released several games before Halo, those being Operation Desert Storm in 1991, um, I believe that's Minotaur, The Labyrinths of Crete in 1992, um, Pathways into Darkness in 93, and then through 94 through 96, they released a trilogy of first-person shooters called Marathon, those being Marathon, Marathon 2 Dundral, and Marathon Infinity. And then in 1997, they released Myth the Fallen Lords, and then a year later, Myth 2 Soul Blighter, with the only other game coming out before Halo being Oni, which was developed alongside it. Yes, by a different team, um, in a different studio, right? Yes, it is... It was developed by Bungie West, which was a short-lived subdivision of Bungie, but then it was published by Rockstar and Take-Two. I think Rockstar co-developed it, but that's a whole other can of worms for another episode, I think. Bungie is such a weird and interesting studio because 
for me, and I think for a lot of other people, they will always be the Halo studio, right? Um, yeah, of that's course. how you associate them. That's how you th- I think about them. But like, they had such a massive history before Halo <laughs> that like a lot of it is on the Mac, <laughs> which is really interesting. And like, they've had a big history after Halo, and it's so weird to see their name next to other companies that aren't Microsoft to me. Like even to this day, when uh, recently they, and we won't talk about this in this Halo series we're doing, but they were recently purchased by PlayStation, and like that's so bizarre to me. <laughs> Yeah, looking at the, I just purchased a copy of Oni because I plan on playing it. But looking at the back of the box, it has the Rockstar logo first and then the Bungie logo, and it is bizarre to see. Yeah, yeah, they were what, Activision. It's it's just it's weird. They've they've had such a weird history. <laughs> really, yeah. So we'll get into that uh, starting around the time of Halo's development, which actually starts quite a bit before, like way before you would even think about halo so halo actually started life after the development of myth 2 soul blighter in 1998 both myth games were 3d fantasy strategy games like rts games but without a lot of the research resource management and then also in 3d which stuff like starcraft wasn't and myth both myth games were lauded for their graphics at the time for having these large 3d environments but they neither of them sold super great they sold pretty well but not um the numbers you would hope for but when other things like starcraft came out um there's another big sci-fi rts around that time that i forget the name of because i'm not an rts fan um but starcraft was huge despite its 2d graphics so bungie after the development of myth 2 kind of wanted to shift their rts focus to a sci-fi setting just Wait, still without on. the I have research to ask for the people screaming is the other big rts world of warcraft or just warcraft no it was okay. some other sci-fi one. Oh, okay okay just making sure yeah no warcraft <laughs> obviously was also blizzard but that was prior to starcraft yeah no it's just one of those i know somebody's like what <laughs> no this was um and i regret not writing it down but it was a different studio that did some other big sci-fi rts um so bungie wanted to take their myth series kind of in a sci-fi direction and they modified their existing myth engine and began developing a new game then with the code name monkey nuts which is a very good product pretty good uh, pretty good as we mentioned bungie had already done some first person shooters with the marathon trilogy which were very much like Doom clones, if you kind of just look at them at a glance. Um, they did some other really interesting things, like adding physics, um, dual-wielding weapons, some dynamic objectives, much like the original GoldenEye, and it also had like a pretty strong focus on multiplayer, online multiplayer, which was novel for the time. So when they were taking their myth series and turning it into a sci-fi RTS, they kind of already had an experience worth making like sci-fi shooters so when they were developing monkey nuts essentially uh they added they started adding vehicles and they found it just really fun to have the player fully control the vehicle rather than just select where it goes and that just sort of led to hey it's really fun to move around in this 3d terrain so they started just moving the camera closer to the units and then closer to behind the units and around 1997, I want to say, or yeah, um, 
1998, mid-1998, Aftermath 2, um, they had changed the title to Blam! Explanation Point. <laughs> and they fully shifted to making it an action game. Pretty good. Not as good as Monkey Nuts, as far as a code name, I will say. The Explanation Point really adds to it, I think. <laughs> it does. It does. I, I'm not taking away from that. It's like, I don't know, Panic at the Disco. Like, <laughs> not, not a great name, but you put that Explanation Point there, it, it, it makes it. There was some interview with the developer I was reading where one of them said they mainly changed it because they didn't want to tell their parents they were working on a game called Monkey Nuts. <laughs> Which, fair enough. Awesome. Um, so it became a third-person shooter with vehicles, which hadn't really been done before. There was racing games and there were shooters, but they hadn't really meshed that much. So it had done a full shift to a sci-fi shooter by the end of 1998. But it still didn't have an official title. So I actually came up with a game for this bit to play with you. Oh, oh, the, oh! I love this. So first, a debut. Yes. For Safe Station um, Radio. Interactive portion of the show. There's um, there's a lot of code names for this part of development. I have 10 code names in front of me. Six of them are real and four of them are fake. Oh, I love this. We came up with a lot of fake names. I was talking to my sibling about this and we came up with a lot of good ones, but I picked four and six of them are real. So... The list is Slipsis, Age of the Spartan, Hard Vacuum, The Dyson War, The Crystal Palace, Star Shield, Elite Defeat, Star Maker, Cosmonites, and The Santa Machine. Four of them are fake and six of them are real. All right. I'm going to say, what was the Spartan one? Age of the Spartan. I'm going to say that's fake. Yep, that one's fake. Okay. I'm going to say Elite Defeat is fake. Yep, that one's very good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Man, I thought they were going to be more juvenile. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is when they started thinking about actually naming the thing. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Um, oh, man. It can't be Hard Vacuum. Hard Vacuum, I'm say, is fake. Um, Hard Vacuum is real. Damn. <laughs> So is the Dyson War fake? The Dyson War is fake. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so this is a genuine name that I'm going to say the Santa Machine is fake. The Santa Machine is real. Damn it. <laughs> that was probably the wildest one where I was like, you know what? You could probably come up yeah. with anything and it would not be you as really wild got as the Santa Machine. <laughs> um, damn. Okay. Um, Solipsis. Solipsis is also real. Oh, man. I'm choking on this last one. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to be honest. Star Shield, Star Maker, and Cosmonites are all so generic. <laughs> it's, yep. I'm going to say... You also have the Crystal Palace as an option. Oh. I'm going to say Crystal Palace. Is fake? Yeah. Nope. Crystal Palace is also real. <laughs> Failed this game, guys. Uh... None of these really sound like Halo, right? Yeah, Star Maker. Uh, Star Maker and Star Shield are both real. Cosmonites is the one I made up. Damn. The Cosmonites does sound like a good project name for Destiny. It does, it does. I gotta, I gotta say, shout out to Bungie for the name Halo because <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's very um not generic. <laughs> Just it's very memorable. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you have all these like yeah Star Shield. Star Maker. Damn. <laughs> I don't know. I think the Santa machine would have stuck. 
Yeah, I, <laughs> it wouldn't I agree. have sold very well, but it would have stuck. That feels like um, like one of those weird titles where you're like, oh, I didn't know that's what that was about, like Snow Crash or some shit. <laughs> you're just like, oh, that's a cyberpunk thing. Not what I would have guessed. Yeah, that's fascinating though. Yeah, that <laughs> I was so when I was reading this, I was like, there's no way they thought that would work. And honestly, a lot there's a lot of pushback with the developers against the title Halo because they thought it was too religious. Um, well, considering I, the religious undertones throughout this entire series. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have a full religious cult of aliens that you're fighting. So it's like, you know, it kind of works. And also the main structure is a giant ring. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it, I guess it works. So we're going to fast forward the development timeline to July 21st, 1999, where after after all these name changes and lots of work on fleshing out the engine, adding vehicles and um characters and all that halo is finally shown at Macworld 1999 again all of this development was being done for mac and pc at the time um, because the xbox did not exist um, so halo was shown at Macworld 1999 by steve jobs who was very pushing for mac to be a gaming platform at the time which was very different than what we have now but apple approached bungie to make it a big poster child for this gaming push for the Mac. And if you watch this reveal, like the trailer is really interesting <laughs> because it is all third person, which we didn't get in the final game. Uh, there are multiple Spartans all working together on the battlefield. And then there's other like moves, like being able to hold the elites hostage and stuff like that just didn't make it to the final game. Yeah. Um, also of note on there. Um, and th- there's two, there's like a trailer and then there's like a, f- like a 10 minute walkthrough. Um, you can go see, and I recommend if you're a Halo fan to go check those out because they're fascinating. Um, there's Spectres in it, which is a vehicle from Halo 2, if I remember correctly. And then Master Chief the is Reach, also... actually. Is that the red tank? No, the Spectres are like the Covenant equivalent to the Warthog. Um... Yeah, where they're red and they got a turret on the back. Yeah. Yeah, those, those appeared in Reach, I believe. Okay, they are introduced in 2, and I've forgotten about for a while. Okay. <laughs> uh, if yeah. I remember correctly, those are in there. And then also, Master Chief has a sword, which didn't happen until Halo 2. Yes, that is true. So just the elite have had swords in the trailer, but yeah. yeah, and they had swords in the first game, but you can't pick them up. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, around this time, a very fascinating thing that you'll find in early um, footage of this game is a lot of work had been done to develop these large creatures. So a bunch of dinosaurs and weird alien creatures, and some of them you can ride, like this big lizard thing. And none of that appeared in the final game. No. They wanted it to sort of populate these big open levels. You'd have these creatures milling about, but they just cut it, I guess, um, partially for time, but partially for tone. Like they wanted this to feel this big ring world to feel abandoned and having these big dinosaurs around didn't really convey that. Um, But what the Macworld show did have was several vehicles that did make it to the final game, like the Warhog and the Banshees and these really smooth transitions between outdoor and indoor environments, which for shooters at that time was pretty novel. Um, After this though, um, even though, uh, Apple wanted this to be a big gaming focus for the PC. They didn't, or for the Mac, they didn't actually sign any like publishing deals. So Bungie's monetary situation was 
looking really bad. Um, very similar to the story of like Psychonauts where they're like, we're going to do it. It's going to be super cool. And then they just run out of money. Um, but this situation goes all the way back to Myth 2 where they missed some release dates for Myth 2, delaying the game. So the publishing was already a bit shaky. They were stri- just trying to str- um, survive off of Myth 1 sales. But the really, the thing that put them really far in the red was when Myth 2 shipped, it shipped with a bug that would wipe all contacts, all contents of the hard drive directory that it was installed to. God damn. So all the copies that were made were recalled and they fixed the bug for future releases, but they still had to recall 200,000 copies. And that whole procedure cost Bungie $800,000. <laughs> PC gaming, folks. Um, yep. PC gaming in an age where you couldn't just, you know, download an internet patch, it's really. wild. Um, so Bungie, in order to stay afloat, sold a share of the company to Take-Two, um, which is why they publish Oni. But that keeps them alive so that they continue working on Halo. Um, later on, once Halo's release is getting closer, the funds are starting to dry up again. And Bungie was pretty desperate for that last bit to finish the game. And so um, one of the leads at Bungie's calls up Ed Fry's, the head of game development at Microsoft, and says, hey, look, we know you got this new console coming out. Would you buy our company and we'll help you out on this? And Ed Fry's ran some numbers and uh, Microsoft Game Studios completely purchased Bungie around that time what a move on their part yeah mainly because they needed exclusives for the xbox to sell the console so they're like this could be huge if this works out and they brokered a deal with take two which they got all of bungie but take two got the rights to myth and oni so that means that oni would stay with take two and be finished and they got the rights to myth but then bungie got um swooped up by microsoft like just imagine that though right like you know you're bungie you're losing money on something and you know you call microsoft and convince them to buy your company to publish one of the greatest games ever made (laughs) just full stop right as a launch title for your new console like yeah that made that console and made like that as a lasting bright like xbox is still around because of halo (laughs) Yeah, pretty much entirely. Like, that's wild. So Microsoft now had in, had control of Halo, and they needed it to be a launch title because the Xbox was going to release at the end of 2001. Um, so Bungie crunched really, really hard. Obviously, it's never fun <laughs> to read about developers crunching, so you had stories of people like sleeping under, under their desks and working 14-hour days, and it's like none of that's good um but they did that for like the last year of development for halo um with a lot riding on the game succeeding like if they didn't finish the game and had it be good then xbox's console would be toast and so would all of bungie (laughs) the first step to this final stretch was to nail down the perspective they officially shifted it to a first person shooter um both to better suit the feel of the triggers they wanted it to be like you're holding the gun so you can use the triggers on the controller 
but also it just cuts down on system resources. So you don't have to render the character and everything behind them. You just have to do what's in front of you. Um, so that helps it run on the console better. Um, after nailing down the perspective came the cuts. They cut the dinosaurs. They cut several vehicle ideas, such as helicopters, um, the Spectre. They had a concept for a stealth tank and then several weapons like the SMG. They had a separate rocket launcher, all the dinosaurs, like um, some of the open levels. They had to just cut all of that because there wasn't time. And then they finally had to nail down the story and the levels. And a key aspect of actually finishing the game was reusing level geometry <laughs> um, to make to stretch out the story mode. So that's where you get the reuse of the first level later on. You get a lot of similar looking... Um, uh, oh my god. Alien name. The Prometheans? Oh, <laughs> what are they called? Uh... Uh oh my god! You asked me, and my brain just broke. Uh, yeah. Oh my god. I'm... No, this is. Oh my, this is gonna kill me. Oh my god, why? Not the, the founders, not the precursors. Forerunner, forerunner. The forerunners. Yeah, you get a lot of forerunner structures that are reused. Christ, god, I'm a fake Halo is... fan. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> And another thing that was on the verge of getting cut was the multiplayer, which seems ludicrous for that game because the multiplayer is such a huge part of it. But just four months before release, they almost had to just cut multiplayer entirely because they couldn't get it to work. But uh, thankfully, Oni had finished development and was released. So all of the Oni team jumped back onto Halo and they reworked all of multiplayer and got it working in just those four months. Yeah, damn. Um, so the game was finally released on day one for the Xbox, November 15th, 2001, and gained massive praise and notoriety and would go on to sell 4.2 million copies before 2006, which made it the second best-selling game of that entire console generation, uh, just behind GTA Vice City. Yeah, it is, yeah, undoubtedly one of the most, you know, important video games of all time as well. Um, and those sales figures definitely reflect that. Well, we've talked about Halo's history. Let's talk about Halo in and of itself. As we have mentioned, Halo is a first-person shooter released for the Xbox. Notable, I think, for being not the first, there are a couple of examples of this beforehand, but definitely the one to popularize the dual-stick style controls for first-person shooters. Yes, which was massive, because if you think about the big first-person shooters on consoles, there weren't a lot, but the ones that did were like Goldeneye, which was on the N64, which only had one analog stick. Was Goldeneye one where you could use two N64 yes. controllers? Yeah, so Goldeneye has a really interesting mode where you can plug two N64 controllers to get dual analog sticks, which is fascinating. Just the, the craziest idea. Um, There's also an Aliens game on PlayStation, I think, that had it as an option. Yeah. Um, you had to have a DualShock to use it, but that was a big thing for that game 
Um, but Halo would be where it became standard, pretty much. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that it's the reason why you have first-person shooters on consoles today. <laughs> like, I think it is... I, I don't think there's any denying that, like, that is the reason that we have that control scheme. It is the one that figured it out effectively and not clumsily, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's the reason why I think Halo holds up today as a shooter. Yeah, there's a lot of talk also in the developments where they designed the movement and the look on the analog sticks to be sort of predictive where like it moves where you want it to move, not where it, not where you tell it to. So it's like, there's a bit of auto aim there, but also just in the movement, it like keeps you, keeps it feeling responsive without, you know, playing into the limitations of it. Another big thing that it did to sort of revolutionize first person shooters even for PC players, was making everything accessible really quickly. So one was you only had two guns at a time, uh, as opposed to having like a big list of weapons like the original Half-Life does, which you couldn't really do on consoles because this was also kind of prior to a weapon wheel, which would make it easier. So they limited it to two, but then also just having grenades be its own button was huge. <laughs> Um, because that made them a lot more useful because you didn't have to switch to them to use them. It was just there immediately. Yeah, uh, I apologize. I should have pulled this quote, but one of the designers talked about how their goal was to make sure you could have a 30 seconds of fun loop. And their philosophy on that was like, yeah, having all of your combat tools accessible to you at once, right? Being able to shoot melee and throw a grenade by just, you know, not having to cycle through long weapon wheels and things like that. Um, and yeah, it does make it feel like it, it gives a fluidness that a lot of those older games just don't have. Yeah, because if you think about the games that came before this, like Half-Life and Quake and even like the Doom games and stuff, it's like melee was a separate weapon option. Grenades were a separate weapon option. <laughs> like you, it was a bit clunky especially if you're used to these new games but you really have halo to think about to thank for figuring that out yeah um just to quickly um first person shooter as we said uh for the campaign narratively um the premise is basically you're on a human ship you are running from a from an invasion from another planet uh you you kind of panicked and slip space jumped and you ended up next to this halo this mysterious floating ring in space that is so big that it has biomes and continents on it, on the inside of it. The aliens who attacked um, the planet you were running from emerge uh, quickly, uh, things go south, and you end up crash landing on the halo and need to kind of regroup with the, um, the military force that was on there and sort of get off the ring. And also uncover the mystery of what the ring is, even. Halo also has is famous for its multiplayer, um, which it also has. Am I missing anything for groundwork there? Just so people are caught up. Um, no, I think that's about it. It's mainly the the single player campaign was a big focus, but the the multiplayer I think led to its longevity. Awesome. Uh, all right, Connor, do you have any personal history with Halo? Um, with Halo Combat Evolved, not really. Um, I was extremely young. I was born in the year 2000, so this came out when I was one year old. Um, I wouldn't play Combat Evolved really until 
much, much later, but Halo has always kind of been part of my gaming life. Um, I think it was because you, Dustin, had an Xbox, and as a kid, we would play a lot of mainly Halo 2 and 3, but like just that world and the gameplay and stuff has always stuck with me. Yeah, uh, my history with Halo is I... I loved it as a kid. It was kind of the first adult-themed video game I got really excited about. Adults in quotes, I guess. As, it is rated M. Yeah, sure. It's one of those where it's like, it's a soft M, you know? Yeah, I think even later games are just T. <laughs> yeah. They're like, eh, it's fine. I mean, I guess the, it has the plot, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was kind of like the first, like, ooh, this is like kind of grown up, but I should be playing this, but I want it so bad. And I remember begging my parents for an Xbox and, and Halo um, and eventually did get one. And I think Halo 2 was out at this time. Um, but, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have that concept of how time works like that. Um, and I played it at a neighbor's house who, um, you know, their, their parents were a little bit more like whatever carefree about it. <laughs> so they kind of got whatever games and stuff they wanted so that's how i discovered it and um yeah i talked about in the spyro episode of of whatever we did this i think that those games probably if you added up every time i've replayed them and thought about them they're probably the games i played most of my life i think halo uh, the halo games are definitely a firm second place there i put so many hours into halo over replaying the campaigns and multiplayers and the separate releases over the years um it's it's kind of wild um yeah very halo obsessed around that time i think it definitely also just marked my my interest in in sort of like again in quotes adult games or whatever <laughs> you know you, you get that little like I, I, i'm 12 and i want i want grown up things now i guess yeah i mean so it's it an was... important game to me nostalgically yeah it was definitely and this is not for combat of all this is for later games but the like I was so young when these games were being released like Halo 3 and then even Halo Reach was probably out by the time I was getting into it but I think Halo 3 was the newest one because I was way too young to play them like it got to the point where I would go to a friend's house and they would have it and we would play it and my parents knew this so they would tell me like it's okay if you play it, even though you're seven, <laughs> like it's okay. If you play it, you just all have to play as elites because then the red blood isn't red, <laughs> which is so funny to me because it's like, you're still shooting and blowing each other up, but the blood isn't red. Yeah. So it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I have a distinct memory of being like, no, no mom, it's aliens. <laughs> it's all good. It's just, it's aliens. just don't walk down. <laughs> when we're playing the multiplayer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah hundreds of hours with my siblings and and uh and you definitely um and friends playing that split screen multiplayer just the memories of that are, are always and forever endearing to me it, it halo is one of those games where i think i think it's so appealing to me as a kid um for a lot of the reasons why like i don't know kids like um like a minecraft or even like i've been playing that new lego star wars game and like there's an element to that game that I always find amazing because it's like you walk up to an animal and you can just jump up and ride it. And I'm like, man, if I was a kid, that would be awesome. Because you think about games and stuff like that at that time and it's like, you know, there's a lot of just static stuff you can't interact with. And Halo was kind of different where like all the vehicles you could drive and all the different guns and stuff like that. And I just wasn't used to that in games. And I think that that very simple thing really wowed me. 
that level of like freedom and creativity that it gave you was very yeah. important which i know is like silly when we're talking about you know modern games and you have like stuff like dreams and minecraft and stuff where you can mix all these crazy things and modern halo has like crazy forge modes where you can create your own maps um but you know back then that and and you know that was just what i had and that was that was kind of the thing that introduced me to something a little more and that was that was super cool you know think about the games that i was into before it was like spyro and sonic and stuff like that that had very linear progressions um very fun and that that doesn't you know change the fact that those are great games but it, it was a very different thing to play to get into a halo map and have it be open and have it go there are three objectives here go do one you know in whatever way you want and if you find a vehicle use the vehicle if you find these weapons use those weapons like it's a very freeing thing that's kind of hard to describe i think to somebody who maybe didn't have that experience with it but yeah it, i it is such an endearing thing to me and something i go back to all the time and i do legitimately think holds up very well Yeah, well, and this gets into the review of this game, especially, you know, 21 years after it came out. It is insane to me how, like, just the core bones of this game are so fun to play when the game is so remarkably simple. That was the main thing I thought while I was playing this game was, um, this is only the second time I've actually finished Halo Combat Evolved. <laughs> like I said, I was very young when it came out and then didn't have it until way later. The first time I played it was on Master Chief Collection, and the second team t time I played it was on Master Chief Collection. But it is remarkable how simple this game really is and how, like, just that core foundation works. Because you think about it, there's, like, maybe... There's, like, less than 10 guns in the whole game. <laughs> there's, like, a handful of vehicles. The campaign's not super long. There's, like five different enemies maybe it's like just the way they arrange these pieces give it some story context and then make that 30 second combat loop feel so fun every time it makes everything click it, it is phenomenally made and i think like you say simple i would argue it's deceptively simple it, it has complexity in its encounter design um in the campaign with those five enemies that i think is part of the reason why it holds up so well this is actually a thought I just had when you were talking about the RTS stuff they used to do. I think their RTS roots actually really plays into um, the encounter design here. Because if you think about how this works, we have the grunts, right? Which are sort of these main little pipsqueak enemies who carry guns that don't typically do too much damage to you. They can't overwhelm you in numbers, but um, they're, kind of, they're very easy to pick off and deal with. You have the jackals, which are also small enemies, but they carry shields, and they're more of a pain in the ass to deal with, and you have to do precise shots or use grenades or something to take them out or overwhelm them with plasma weapons. And then you have the elites, which are kind of the equivalent to you as the player. They have shields like you do, um, they act a little bit more like you do, and they carry better weapons. And all of those enemy types work very well together. If you kill an elite, all of the grunts will scatter and run. So it might be in your favor to aim for the elite first you know you can pop the jackal shields with uh plasma weapons plasma weapons will also pop elite shields so it's like in your favor to like i'm gonna pick up uh this plasma rifle which is like a machine gun with plasma and then switch to my human 
uh, assault rifle to take him down. Like there's a there's a bunch of complexity in the combinations of weapons and enemies that I I think is what keeps the combat feeling fresh. You know whether or not you've played this game twice or a hundred times. I think my main like thought of it being simple is because I've played the future games where they add more to it, but those core bones it is that very rock paper scissors mentality of using the right tool for the right job so if you have certain weapons that you like you can use it in different circumstances or you might switch to something you're not as familiar with because it's more effective at the situation and then just holding on to what you have picking up resources as you go is always a fun thing in shooters like all of that you're right it just adds to making that 30 second combat loop feel refreshing every time and a big part of that also is both the level design and the ai design because you mentioned that if you kill an elite the grunts will scatter um also the jackals will kind of run and put down their shields so they're a bit easier to take out too so you might prioritize taking out the elite but the elite also is a bit more evasive so you might deal with some of the grunts in the way to make it a little bit easier so you're not at a disadvantage fighting the elite and all of that you know, you get your strafing, your movement, your positioning within the levels, you get different terrains and stuff. All of that just adds those minute details that you're constantly thinking about while you're fighting, which makes it more engaging than if you just walk into just a straight line of enemies and then have to deal with it that way. You know, you are dealing with everything at once. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, that's not even to mention the vehicle sandbox, you know, that adds on top of that uh, in, in certain levels. You know, some of the other later enemies we haven't talked about yet, but like it, it all, and I think it all works together so well. And it, it is simple, but I, I, I think there's a, there is complexity there if you look for it. Um, it, what are they, I, I think the easiest way to describe this, if you've played Doom Eternal and you understand that combat puzzle, imagine this is a combat puzzle, but it's not so stringent as that, right? There are it's effective, <laughs> yeah, there are effective ways to take down enemies, more effective than others. But you can still brute force if you want. And I think that that's the thing that that keeps it feeling fresh, is there's always a way to deal with encounters that you've never dealt with before, which I think is the most impressive thing about it. Yeah, it's that very simple like design mentality that you do see in those modern shooters like Doom Eternal that make it feel so good. But yeah, it's, it's insane that um, when I played it this time, I made kind of the mistake of playing on Heroic, <laughs> where it really forces you to think about all those decisions. And if you don't, you will die. (laughs) So it was a bit frustrating, but you know, it really makes you see sort of the design behind it. What do you think of that two weapon limit? Uh, Because when I, when I hear, you know, uh, again, in quotes, older people talk about shooters and their thoughts on Halo. I I definitely hear a lot of bitterness about the two two weapon thing. People don't tend to like that. They kind of like their big weapon wheels. You know, I'm always at the philosophy of this kind of thing where it's like, eh, it's what's best for each individual game. Um, but do you like that philosophy for Halo? Um, I do, because I think it really, it gives the levels a certain, and not so much in this game, I don't think, but um, especially for future games, it gives that that sort of combat loop refreshment where you can force the player into using something they're not comfortable with by just not giving them ammo for the weapon they have you know then they're forced to drop it and pick up something different or 
you know, you're not going to just stick to the same weapon over and over again because like you have options constantly. Um, I do find it a little bit annoying for some of the special weapons. Um, so like if you get a rocket launcher, I kind of want to hold on to that because it has very limited ammo and don't want it taking up a slot where I could have a pistol, which has lots of ammo. But I think just having that, it, it makes you think about what you're holding more so than like, eh, I just have options that I have rather than, you know, it's like I'm limited to two. I, I find it very interesting. Yeah, I think it works as well. And I, and I think um, the thing I like about it and I like about it in shooters that do include two weapon limits or three weapon limits or whatever it is, there's an element of scrounging for for your next weapon, for more ammo, for whatever you need that I think you kind of lose when you have a big weapon wheel. Not that that method also isn't valid and can't be cool as hell too, but uh, you know, I, I think they're different styles and they, they both work for individual games. I don't think Halo would be as fun if you had a big weapon wheel and you could always have a rocket launcher or a sniper on you. Um, I think it kind of works in that like, if you want a sniper rifle during this part, you're going to have to sacrifice that weapon slot for a while. Yeah, there's some risk risk reward there. Yeah, totally. While we're talking about weapons, though, I got to shout out the the plasma grenade, which I feel like it might be one of the best weapons in a first-person shooter ever. Yeah, it's the, the sticky grenade. Yeah, more so in multiplayer, I think, than in uh, campaign, but it works in campaign, too, because... It's a grenade. It doesn't bounce, so it, it doesn't really work for throwing it around corners or anything like a standard grenade does. But if you get your aim right, it'll stick on an enemy, and it doesn't go off right away. So if you stick a grunt, they'll freak out and run around, and that can work to your advantage because they might run into their teammates uh, before they explode. Uh, it, it is also just a very satisfying multiplayer weapon because it's uh, kind of harder to use and not as, not you know, using a frag grenade probably more effective but it's always satisfying when you stick your friend. <laughs> yeah, I find it useful. I mean, it it's also useful in a lot of the similar situations you would use a frag grenade, which is good when you run out of frag grenades. Like, if you throw it at the ground, it's going to be right there. So if you know sort of like the cluster of enemies and you manage to hit sort of in that area, it's going to be right there where they are standing. Um, whereas a frag grenade, you might bounce and it might just go right behind them or something. So like, yeah, no, definitely a good a good tool in the toolbox for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go over those those weapons then. I, again, you said it's fairly light on weapons. Um, you know, for for our human stuff, we, it's pretty standard, right? We have a pistol, an assault rifle, a sniper rifle, and a grenade launcher, or a, a rocket launcher rather, and a shotgun. A very good shotgun, I will note. And then for our alien weapons, we have the plasma pistol, which is like kind of like it's kind of like a pea shooter a little bit, but you can charge it up to take down enemy shields in one hit, but you have to charge it. Um, you have the plasma rifle, which works as basically an assault rifle, um, and it also takes down shields faster. And then you have the needler, which um, is a horrifying weapon that shoots big giant needles that stick into enemies that don't do that much damage unless you cluster enough of them and then they explode. Yes, and they also have a bit of bit of homing properties to them. Yes, and that's basically it. Halo's <laughs> weapons: two types of grenades, the frag grenades and the plasma grenades, as mentioned earlier, and then the vehicles. What is your favorite Halo weapon? Oh man, in this game, it's got to be the shotgun. Just so satisfying. It's it's not like the Doom or Quake shotguns where you can use them as a rifle. It's like 
it really is only going to do a lot of damage up close. But if you manage to hit it right up close and their whole shield just explodes and they fall over, like it's very satisfying to do. Yeah, the shotgun is phenomenal. <laughs> good noise. What, very good noise. Very good sound design on all the weapons, really. Yeah. And the shields and the the enemy noises and all of that. It's just, it's so iconic that it's hard to like evaluate, but man, it's, it works every time. Oh, like there's nothing quite as satisfying as popping an enemy shield in halo (laughs) or just that satisfying sound of your shield recharging yeah it's always good what's your favorite weapon it's a cliche with halo one but i gotta go the pistol (laughs) it's pretty good the pistol's great um not intentionally great (laughs) but uh you get a, a magnum in halo one that uh supposedly I'm not sure how true this is, but I, I believe it. Uh, last minute, there was a glitch, a bug that made the pistol like three times as strong as it's supposed to be. Yeah, I believe that. It's a bit too strong. <laughs> yeah, um, and it, it can pretty much decimate almost everything. <laughs> it's not like one-shot kill, but it's pretty handy, um, especially for multiplayer. It's got, it's got good accuracy, too. Yeah. You know, other than that... I. I've always loved the Needler. It's kind of a pain to use, but it's fun. It's fun looking. Probably the most alien of the weapons in this game, I'd say. Stegosaurus gun. Yeah, it's cool. And and the sniper rifle is always satisfying. It is, except kind of going back to that pistol is um, when you get to the hunters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The hunters are these big tank enemies that have armor all over their body, except like just under their chin and then the back side of them and i guess they're midriff too um, but they're kind of hunched over so you don't see that part as much Um, so you're going to want to hit them there and the best method is if you're close you can use a shotgun but the best 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 method method. (laughs) the best best method is you use the pistol and it kills them in one hit which definitely feels like an error yeah super unintentional (laughs) because if you try and use a sniper rifle like even close range far range it doesn't matter it deals almost no damage to them (laughs) Yeah, it's it's Which uh, is insane because it's a sniper rifle. Very funny. Yeah, it's a very funny enemy. It's supposed to be big and tough, and it's supposed to like force you to get close to them because you want them to like try to melee you so you can dodge and hit them in the back. And you know they they work for that unless you're using the pistol and they they're the biggest pushovers in the working. game. Yeah, it was frustrating when I got to a big open area and there was like two of them. Like, oh cool, I'm far enough away. I got a sniper rifle. I can start picking them off and deal some damage before i go in and then it deals no damage (laughs) are you kidding me yeah of course of course i want to talk about the general aesthetic of halo and I want to start off that by talking about something that I feel like Halo has always been phenomenal at, and that is really cultivating a sense of scale. Oh, for sure. It is so wild how well they are able to do that, and they cheat because you're on this Halo ring, and so you're always able to look up into the sky and see the ring extending into space. Yeah, which is a simple skybox thing, but it's really effective. It's so effective, and it it just makes you feel like these areas are larger than life. Like, it's it's really cool, and some really intelligent design that still holds up. 
But even without that, like, the second level of this game starts off with you in, like, this big canyon, and you have to walk over this narrow bridge to the other side of it. And just looking down, you get, like, there's a really nice sense of vertigo, vertigo there. Like, they, they really know how to do vistas. Even back then, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, getting that sense of scale, especially since some of these levels are quite big. Like, like you said, that second level just titled Halo, you have a bunch of objectives, but each section still feels pretty big and then it comes back to the central hub and you're all kind of moving out and using the vehicles to traverse it faster and all that like that sense of scale and something and just grandioseness of it like wasn't seen in shooters of that day but really wasn't seen for console games of that day either like until much later it's really interesting looking you know the, the third level has you on foot in this um in this night level uh where you're trying to infiltrate a giant covenant which are the aliens in this game covenant ship and you have to go there on foot underneath it and it's massive and you transport yourself up into it through a tractor beam once you get there and it it, it really is effective at showing you just how big everything is and sort of the scale of the force you're up against i think it's incredibly effective yeah i will say while those levels are especially memorable and really like visually interesting that can't be said for all of them um especially some of the later ones and one in particular yeah um i think even some of those covenant ship levels i think can be a bit too claustrophobic and look a little bit repetitious so that is the thing um with with some of the visual design here and just some of the level structure elements you mentioned earlier there's a lot of reuse in in the campaign a lot of, um, you know, again, in quotes, copy and paste <laughs> going on here. Which makes sense in terms of development because they were crunched to finish the game. But I think they do a pretty good job masking it with storytelling where it's like there's a reason you're going back to this area and they change it enough to make it feel different. But visually, it can be kind of boring. <laughs> and for the most part, I honestly don't mind it. And I think part of the reason is Halo Sandbox saves a lot of it um, in terms of gameplay. There's an infamous level in this game, which we'll talk about later, that's pretty bad about... It's not one you visit backwards, but it is one where it's just like the same hallway over and over again. And then um, there's a there's a snow level, which is awesome the first time through, but I think the second time you go through it, I, I that, that one's always the one that kind of slows me down in my playthrough. Because that is literally the same thing backwards, right? Yes. You know, they give you a different vehicle and, and stuff like that, but yes, it is. I think it is the most repetitious um this game gets which is unfortunate um again for the most part i don't think it prevents this from being a good game at all but i, I do think it is one of the unfortunate aspects of it yeah it's a unfortunate byproduct of its development really yeah uh, but to talk about something positive there um there, there's a sense in halo's design and it's visual design specifically visual and audio design there's something really creepy about indoor environments in halo that has always gotten to be in a way that's like very disturbing and a thing that I love about it because it's very unique to me where you'll get inside these forerunner structures that are very metallic and there's like this very emptiness. There's like an emptiness and an eeriness to them that I, I really love. Yeah, this kind of goes back to why they cut the dinosaurs was they wanted this place to feel abandoned and decrepit. And I think just having these really brutalist structures where it's like just card, not uh, concrete. I mean, it's not, especially if you look at like the 
remastered visuals and stuff, it's different. But the original graphics are these just simple polygons, just concrete environments. And it feels very cold. You're right. It just feels very empty and like, like you shouldn't be there, but also nothing should be here anymore. Yeah. And it's something that I don't think they capture in later Halo games. I think this is an exclusive to Halo 1 thing to me. I think part of it's the engine. Like there's a weird shininess, clean sense to the engine, to the way it looks, to the visuals that it's very uniquely Halo combat evolved to me. Yeah, that sort of stark, just barrenness to it. Yeah, and it's something I, I really like, and it's something that like even this game's graphical remake I don't think captures. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very weird feeling that it gives me. Yeah, we mentioned that. Um halo combat evolved anniversary for the 360 and the also the version on master chief collection they remastered a lot of the visuals and you're right i don't think they carry the same atmosphere that the original did they look great but they don't they something was lost in translation i think yeah i think saber did a great job with 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 them but it's it's its own vibe it doesn't feel like halo one to me it just feels like something different and this is something you could find halo fans bickering and arguing about till the end of time <laughs> you know yeah one of those it looks things. good it just doesn't feel like the original you know yeah and that that's my thoughts on it too and maybe that's just nostalgia but you know i i really really appreciate that um i also want to shout out this game's alien creature design because i think it's very cool <laughs> um there's a lot of um alien like the movie franchise inspiration in halo um and i think you see that with the elites in particular yeah, they're sort of elongated heads. Yeah, um, but I love the way the grunts look. I love those guys. Yeah, I love how angular all the yeah, aliens they're are. So cool, <laughs> and it works because like a great design is great to look at, but especially a great game design is something that serves a very good mechanical purpose, and they really do. Like each enemy has their own distinct silhouette that you can tell what it is even at a glance. So if you see sort of like a short rounded silhouette, that's going to be a jackal because that's their shield. They're sort of hunched over. They get this sort of circular look to them. Whereas a grunt's going to be more like more of a triangular pyramid shape. And then the elites are more vertical, but they still have that sort of angular armor pieces to them. And yeah, it makes it very distinctive, but just very good to look at in both versions. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. I've never, and they make these, so I should just do it. But I've always wanted to get action figures because they're just so cool looking. So maybe someday I'll figure that out. Um, and that goes through the vehicles too, um, the the alien vehicles, um, the Ghost and the Banshee in this game. I, I love their designs so much. They're so cool looking. The the Ghost being this like hover, I guess motorcycle is the closest thing I would describe it, but it's got like wings on the outside of it. It's got machine guns on the front, and the Banshee is like a plane, like a single-person plane they have to lay down in to fly. Um, I've always loved that design. It's like just a cockpit with wings. Yeah. Seems horrifying. <laughs> Would never do it. But... Especially later, some of the later designs, especially where your legs are just hanging out. Yeah, but it's so cool looking. And, you know, of course, the the human stuff, it's, it's very standard. Like, there's a tank, um, there's the Warthog, which is your jeep with your machine gun on the back which is also a very iconic design but you know i i don't think anything beats the banshee for me i love that thing 
one of the reasons they said they cut the helicopter was they're like the helicopter doesn't look futuristic enough <laughs> like yes the human stuff is still jeeps and guns with bullets and stuff but the helicopter just feels old you know and what a great uh segue into the last bit i wanted to discuss with with visual design i love the sort of kind of like modern military stuff with the alien stuff on this alien ring it's so weird to me <laughs> like um and i've never watched this series all the way through so i might be inaccurate on this but you know alien the military stuff in that it's also very futuristic right yes but it also has that sort of grittiness where you're like these are still machine parts that could exist you know um, part of that is just filmmaking kit yeah. bashing stuff where it's practical. You're using actual things. Yeah, but like, it's the World War II Star Wars guns. I get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, in Halo, it's it works so well, specifically because you kind of have three, almost four factions playing at, here. One of them's long dead. So when you get to your human aesthetic, your covenant aesthetic, and your forerunner aesthetic like they're all visually distinctive and I think, you know, keeping the human military stuff very recognizable, like it's futuristic. You still have these like video displays on your assault rifle and like you can see the sort of design evolution of some of the vehicles and stuff. And you get these planes that are powered by jet engines and propellers and stuff that looks all very futuristic, but it's still recognizable as like, you know, a human military object, you know? Yeah, and I just love the way that clashes with, again, that cold, dark Forerunner aesthetic. Like, in the second level, moving the tank through those tunnels, or, or not the tank, uh, the, the Warthog through those tunnels, like, that's just a vibe. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so well, interesting and, looking. And to make two different alien aesthetics that are distinct from each other, a lot of it is color gr- is like color theory and design for that, but just making them feel distinctive and not feel like, eh, it's just more aliens. It's like that took a lot of work. Oh yeah. Giving the, the, you know, the covenant purple, <laughs> purple uh, gaming chair lighting was a choice that I really love. The covenant's purple. The forerunners are gray and the humans are green. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it just looks very distinctive and very cool. Um, anything you wanted to mention about visual design and aesthetic? Um, no, I think I'm going to move the presentation to the music. Okay. Cause the music in Halo is one of the most iconic things in any video game. Oh yeah. Um, which is interesting cause that main Halo theme was actually made in like a week or two before the Macworld presentation. They're like, oh shit, we don't have music. Um, <laughs> um, so they got the composer to make that and he knocked it out of the park. It's one of the most iconic themes of any game. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's up there with like Mario 1-1 <laughs> in terms of recognizability. Yeah, that, that sort of Gregorian chant, which is so good at like giving you this alien but ancient, like it, it, it really gets it, it, it you know it starts off the game and on, on the title screen and it gets you in the mood for it like it is an inspired choice yeah but even like all the action sequences and then some of the darker moody bits and some of the horror sequences and stuff like all of the music just plays so well to each of the strengths yeah absolutely
we played some multiplayer uh, for for this. We, we kind of did an afternoon of playing multiplayer. You know, you, you played some back in the day, split screen. But, uh, you know, I'd argue you, you're not super familiar with it, yeah? Yeah, I think most of my multiplayer was Halo 3 and Reach as a kid. Um, and then some Halo 2, but again, I was... This was after Halo 3 was already out, so that was mainly the focus. So what did you think of the experience of Halo multiplayer? Um, again, very simple, um, but endlessly rewarding. <laughs> you know, you get that same... You get really great map design, I think, just like the way thing, the channels move. You get choke points and environment, um, different levels and uh, looping hallways and stuff. Like all that plays to the strengths of the Halo combat loop. Um, but having that human element to it is just endlessly enjoyable, especially if you're playing with friends. Like the amount of jokes and jabs and stuff you can get with with this game is endless. <laughs> Yeah, um, the map design here is so interesting because it's after sort of the formula of Quake and, and that sort of like strictly arena stuff, which, you know, had, had definitely had variations and stuff. And I don't want to pretend like I know what I'm talking about there because I, I haven't played too much of those old games, but um, someday I'll fix that. But, um, you know, th th there's definitely a formulaicness to those maps, but it's also before we had sort of modern multiplayer map design where it's like that three lane stuff which, you know, works, but I think has gotten stale to a lot of people. Um, you know, you get this, like, span from, like, Halo 1 to Halo Reach, where, like, the maps were kind of wild. <laughs> and, like, playing Halo 1 maps, you know, they feel like they were made for a party rather than being made for competition. And that is something I appreciate so much. Yeah, that's what makes them so fun, whereas, like, you know, it's kind of a leveling play leveling field where you can use the environment or use different parts of the environment to improve or to like get some kills and stuff that you wouldn't with just plain skills. So like I was thinking specifically like the frost stage, you can use like the levels and sneak up on people and stuff that, you know, if this was a competitive focus game might not exist. Yeah, there's, there's just stuff in here that's like, you know, of course you have your Iconic, your Blood Gulch, and your Battle Battle Canyon, or Beaver Creek. One of those is Halo 1, one of those is Halo 2. I can never keep them straight anymore. Uh, close enough. But uh, yeah, every time they remake a map in Halo, they change the name and it, it will mess me up for the end of time. <laughs> but uh, um, The main example of just that sort of chaotic energy to some of the maps is that teleporter map. <laughs> Yes, Chiron, uh, with a bunch of letters and numbers after it. it. Yeah, it's just a map with small rooms with like three exits each that uh, are teleporters. So it's just this confusing mess of a map where everybody's teleporting around constantly and finding people's hard and it's just random. And you can pop into a teleporter and then see somebody exiting another teleporter and immediately get the drop on them, or you can pop out of a teleporter and immediately get shot. It feels very, again, silly. Like, it feels very much like it was made to have a just a fun, goofy time and not be competitive. Yeah, and there's something I miss about that, but I can also understand the veering away from it. Totally. Absolutely. And that makes sense. And, you know, later games added Forge, you know, so you could make your own maps, which I, I do think kind of covers that. But, um, 
yeah, I, I, there, there's just an appreciation of the map design here that I love. Um, another one like that is boarding action, which is like this ship that has been split in half out in space. And I don't know if we ended up playing this one that afternoon. No, I don't remember this one. But it's just this this map with like two sides that have like four levels high so you can go like you know level one level two level three level four with this giant open space in between them so it's basically a map that is made for sniping yeah just for sniping your friends and there's teleporters to get across to each side but you know it's a map where you you get excited because you shot a rocket at one end hoping to lead because your friend is running from the other end so you shot a rocket hoping you you nailed the trajectory to nail them from across the map and, and you know it's it's that kind of stuff that that makes it so much fun um you know of course we can't not talk about blood gold that's such an iconic classic multiplayer map lots of memories on that one lots of vehicles lots of fun stuff you can do there yeah well the original version of this game supported both split screen co-op for the story mode, which is a huge part of multiplayer, four-player split-screen on the death matches and stuff, but also multi-system link. Um, the original game did not launch with Xbox Live because Xbox Live didn't exist yet; it just wasn't ready. Um, but if you set up a LAN party, you know, hooked all your consoles together, you could do it that way. Yeah, which I never experienced on, on original hardware. There was also a way. Um... I think it was called GameSpy or something. People got it to work online, basically. Okay, yeah. And, well, and later, the PC versions as well had online stuff. So. Yeah, and it, that was one of those things where I, I I also got the PC version of this game late, and I, I just remember being amazed that I could play online with 16 other people. Yeah, and you get these huge Capture the Flag maps, and yeah. And that version of the game added a bunch of multiplayer maps that Gearbox made that were specifically made for big team stuff. Um, that that were also very cool, and it it was just it's just one of those things where like I was wowed. I'm like sixteen other players on this. Yeah, it's it the multiplayer definitely feels like the kind of thing you play with a group of friends and have a lot of fun with, as opposed to you know log in online and trying better your skills and stuff. It's like no, you're just gonna have fun, you know. Yeah, and you know that's evident through like. Oh, the pistol's busted, so it's like the best weapon in the game. <laughs> and like when you play Blood Gulch and you're just playing Team Slayer, sometimes the spawn will just spawn you right next to an enemy <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, stuff like that. You can't really take it seriously. Uh, yeah. So with that, let's move on, and we're just gonna sort of talk about spoilers. We're gonna talk about the second half of the game, and you know that kind of thing. More detailed stuff about thoughts over there. Um, so if you if you are interested in playing this game and you've never played Halo somehow, it's never crossed your radar, you know, you can come back later and listen to our discussion on that. Some more story stuff I'm sure we'll talk about there. Any closing thoughts, Connor? Before... Nope, I think we're good. All right. So if you're sticking around, stick around through the music and we'll see you soon. Okay, now that all the people who have never played a Halo game are, are out of the room, I think we have to come clean, audience. We had to cut the last recording a little short, so we're recording this on a separate day. So if we sound slightly different, that's why. Just be cool, you know? Roll with the punches. Part two, day two. Yeah, exactly. 
but for the Halo campaign, let's let's start this off. Uh, do you have a favorite mission? There are ten of them. Is there um, one that stuck out to you more than the others? I mean, stuck out to me more than the others. Obviously, that's got to be the library. In a good way. <laughs> oh, in a good way, you mean? Okay. Um, I mean, the other obvious answer is the final level, the Maw. Yeah, that's my favorite. And that isn't just the car chase, right? It's got to be like the whole... No, the whole thing. The whole blowing up of the Pillar of Autumn and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole mission's super cool. I do too. And I think it's a great example of what we were talking about earlier in terms of like, it's a reused level. It's the Pillar of Autumn, you know, again. But I think its atmosphere is so good. And it's such a great example too of introducing you to a space and then going back later and having it just feel different because of its its atmosphere. I, I love it so much. I, I think that level is phenomenal. Yeah, part of it is like just different baked in lighting and then different texture work on the walls and stuff. But yeah, no, that level it does a lot. And also just different enemies. You know, you're not fighting the Covenant at that point. Yeah, we didn't talk about the Flood in the first part at all. So... Let's let's talk about the flood. Kind of the they kind of get introduced in the second half of the game. Um, new faction. Uh, yep. Turns out Halo, a little bit of a horror game. Yep, they just start checking zombies at you. Yeah. Um, turns out uh, this Halo ring is actually a containment facility for um, these creatures, these flood, um, as well as being a weapon to eliminate them if they should ever spread again, because they are zombies and they feed off life. They're these creepy little squid guys that I don't. I don't think we get to see it in this game, but in future games you can actually see them burrow into dead enemies, and it's real disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> and probably you can why the series it. is rated M yeah, to an earlier can, point. <laughs> pretty much, it's these guys. Uh, you could see it kind of in the character model, but they don't actually. They might do it in a cutscene, I think, that when you first are introduced to them, there's like that flashback cutscene. Right. You see it kind of jump on them. Yeah, so they're they're a zombie-like uh, enemy, and they they essentially will eat the universe. <laughs> so um, we find out that these Halo rings um, are the only way to destroy them, but there's a big catch. Destroying them means destroying their food, which is life. <laughs> so, which is pretty much all life in the universe. <laughs> Yes, it's pretty much a um, last resort button. Yeah, so uh, the there's a, what do you call these guys? Like the caretaker? The monitor. Uh, the monitor, yeah. Uh, Guilty Spark, who's kind of a famous character, 343. You might know the studio's named after him. He, he kind of, you know, he kind of oversees this and he, it's his function to, to make this happen. And he's not entirely truthful with you when you first meet him. So he kind of drags you along and tricks you into it for a little bit until you uh, meet up with your AI Cortana, who we also didn't discuss in the first part. <laughs> we didn't really talk much about any of the story. No, not at all. Who you left behind in a prior mission, who's been like kind of snooping around Halo systems, and who figures out, like, no, this will kill us. <laughs> like, like, we can't do this. Um, yeah, so what do you think is the f- of the Flood as a faction as a whole? Um, I really like them. I've always really liked their concept and their design especially um the little the little guys i um have always called them the popcorn shrimp yes (laughs) they are really they're a really cool enemy especially since they're introduced halfway through when you're kind of like used to the other factions 
the other faction, really, the Covenant, then they're introduced just right when you need to pick me up. And I think they do a good job. You know, you get to see them in the Covenant fight, which is always fun to just, you know, watch different AIs fight each other. They have different strategies. They like to lunge at you and attack in swarms and different weapons are effective against them since they don't have shields. And yeah, they're a great enemy and I really love the way they're both woven into the narrative and just the aesthetic of them. Yeah, I agree. I I love the flood aesthetic. It's like this very green, grimy look. And I think it really works well with those clean interiors. Um, Especially when you, when you kill them, there's, when you kill any enemy in this game, the blood splatter is a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's very big. (laughs) It's very big. It's also like not very animated. It's, it's very interesting looking, but yeah, like, Killing a lot of these zombies than having this pristine hallway covered in green goo. It's just, it's a its a look and a vibe. Uh, there's also like this flood f- fog is the only way I can describe it. Uh, that I also have found. I also think it's like an underrated iconic imagery for the series. Like it, it's a very cool vibe, I think. And creepy. Yes, of course. Um, should we talk a bit about some of the other characters? <laughs> like... We didn't talk about the story, partially because a lot of it is just unveiled later, and that's kind of a spoiler, but also because the story is kind of simple, but also just, like, like the Halo lore especially is something that you can get real into, but was not established in this first game. <laughs> no, it's it's incredibly, uh, it's not very deep here. You know, and, and I think that, that works into its favor. It's a good introduction to the universe. You know, we, we are we start off on the run from an alien faction. We land on this mysterious ring and we go, right? Like, I think that that's, I think that that works. It doesn't bog down in its own lore, which, which is, I, I think, a positive. Yeah, you get a real sense of like, you're just trying to survive and you're helping out the other crew members, um, especially with that first mission, Halo. And then... Um, you know, escorting the other teams back to the faux hammer and like all of that just serves to ground you with the characters where it's like, this isn't a big cosmic battle yet. It's like you just kind of scrapping by to (laughs) survive this technologically superior force. Um, Yeah, totally. And it isn't until later that that sort of gets brushed aside for, dealing with guilty spark and figuring out what the halos are um which again is pretty simple in this game and then dealing with the flood after that so to talk about characters then we of course have our our big green boy master chief yep who speaks but does not show his face ever yeah and and speaks pretty rarely um in the original games it's really just during cutscenes and it's minimal uh we have our, our ai companion cortana of course, also very iconic. Shout out to um, Jen Tyler, her voice actor. Always killing it, even back then. Like, really good stuff. Yeah, she has a certain sense of, like, confidence, but then also snark sometimes. That It, it makes her really endearing, especially in these early games. Yeah, for sure. We have Keys, who's kind of our big commander guy. We have Sergeant Johnson, who's our, I, I will say, stereotypical army man but very enjoyable to watch on screen and uh 343 guilty spark again snarky ai um good one is that it i think i've got most everybody in this game yeah and then the faux hammer 
Oh, and Fohammer, right. And Fohammer is a minor character, but uh, I, I think, you know, I think they do a good job of making a minor character. I, I feel for her when she dies <laughs> later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but that, that's about it. Very small cast. Uh, mostly minor characters make it up, but I, I think everybody's enjoyable. Yeah, and you get caught up in the sort of spectacle of the missions and the gameplay that the story can afford to take a backseat sometimes. Totally. I'm just trying to, you know, again, the story moments here, um, I think they're kind of relegated to like the big plot things that happen. I do want to shout out, it always creeps me out when you find keys after the flood have taken him and he's like grown over in that pod and you basically have to like punch his corpse to get the ID tag you need or whatever. Yeah, you just cave his face in. It's pretty gross. It's real gruesome. (laughs) Um, There was one specific story moment that stood out to me that I wanted to talk about and that's that Keys first gets captured by the Covenant and then you have to break into their big carrier. This is where you sneak underneath it and then climb aboard. Um, And then you have to rescue him and escort him out of there. And when you rescue him, he says something about he overheard the Elite saying something about the Halo Ring which implies that he could speak their language. Like it shows that uh, at other parts in the game, Cortana has to activate a translator so that chief can understand them, but keys can just understand them now- normally. Uh, he, I mean, he might be able to, I don't know. <laughs> I guess he's been around. He's been in this war for a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it, I think that there's, I could headcan wise understand that by like, I don't know, you're in a war with an enemy, it's probably smart to learn their language, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's just like a native speaker, though. He overhears the guards talking about it, and that stood out to me. Or, I mean, he might have some sort of chip in him. Yeah, This is doesn't... a universe where people get chips in him. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have an AI like Cortana, but he, I guess his ID tag that is in his brain that you have to punch out is like also yeah, a that translator. Might... That might work. <laughs> um, man, I got you to that. I love the Covenant speaking... <laughs> Especially in these early games, they're just kind of goofy. Yeah, um, specifically the uh, the grunts and the elites are fantastic. Yeah, they're the the uh, the grunts are kind of known for their just goofy humor and screaming and running away and stuff like that. Um, infamously, I think on the last level when you're doing the uh, infamous warthog uh, drive, if you there's like a side tunnel you can turn down and find a grunt who's talking about wanting to go home and. <laughs> get some nipple juice i guess <laughs> i didn't know if they were in this game i know about the one in halo 3 but i did not yeah there's know. one in halo 3 as well oh good <laughs> yeah it's good it's good uh look up a video it's it's very entertaining um yeah but um fun stuff there the um, other fun thing about the elite speak is that pretty much for all of the game it's just um the sergeant's voice lines played backwards yes um, which is really fun if you look up a video of them of someone who's reversed it back to the original lines like you can really tell but it it gives it an alien tone without them having to record more lines I guess yeah it's pretty good um, uh, I do want to mention the silent cartographer kind of a classic halo level this is the island level that you can secrets break fairly easily which is a lot of fun uh, just by going backwards <laughs> When you, when you land on the beach. Kind of a big open. I think it's the most open level in the game. Oh, is this the one where it's like a big loop around? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and you can head up to the center. Um, you have to go underneath 
that island which i always loved as well just that implication of like like the small island and then underneath it's just this massive cavern um that stretches on forever like that stuff's so cool yeah that that mission is a standout uh, also assault on the control room i think is is another phenomenal one again showing off that scale um this is it's the ice snowy level the first time yeah the first time the second time i don't think it works as well unfortunately even though they do give you a banshee which is pretty cool but I just don't think it it um, lives up. That's the only one that I consider kind of a, an annoying on the repeat visit. But let's uh, let's talk about the library, the infamous library. It's the library. This is um, the, the way this level structured. Pretty much is the same repeated hallway, um, and you're kind of just climbing up, and then it's waves upon waves of flood soldiers, and that's yep. pretty much it. Yeah, um, it's pretty similar. It's It's got an awesome vibe. I love the way it's lit in the original. It's so dark and it's so moody. And again, you have this like massive crater in the center of it, massive like hole that again shows off the scale of what is happening here. It's so cool. But unfortunately, it is just the same hallway over and over again. And it gets old pretty quickly. Yeah, like... I think this is the one example of the the game reusing assets and it not working because for a lot of it, you know, they use reuse the same level geometry, the pillar of autumn and then the maw um doing the ice level twice. It's like sometimes that can be masked pretty well. Um like a lot of the f- the forerunner buildings look the same anyway, but this is all the same level and it goes on about twice as long as it needs to. <laughs> So by the end of it, you're just kind of tired of this hallway. It's it's unfortunate because there's a lot of cool things in there. Um, this is you know where you're hanging out with three four three for the first time. You we get introduced to the sentinels here, which are flying like drone like enemies, who are your friends for the first part before you turn on three four three. So like there's really cool things about it, and again, I just love the visual aesthetic. But yeah, it just goes on and on. I do have to shout out the remastered version of this because I think they they did some stuff with lighting and they literally put arrows on the floor to kind of make sure you don't get turned around, which is nice. And I think a genuine improvement over the original. I still prefer the original's very moody, very dark lighting, but I, I think that, like, again, it just mitigates enough of the issues that I would recommend playing it on that version when you get there. Yeah, and... Uh... A positive to the remaster is that you can just swap the graphics at any time. Yeah, so it's like which is awesome. So if you want to still soak in the atmosphere in the in that hallway, and then you get lost and turn on the new one, then that's it's a press of a button. It's instantaneous. Yeah, definitely an example of like they knew what they needed to improve here, and they did it pretty well. So I gotta give a shout out to Saber on that one. Uh, I also love three for three guilty spark, which is the first flood level, the swamp one where you then go into the facility to find that team. I think the atmosphere there is impeccable. It's very good. Yeah, I really like how it's very. I mean, you drop into like a rainstorm, and then it's very moody going in, and then once you figure out what's inside, then you have to flee from it as the flood get out. Yeah, and I might be wrong about this, but I think it's the only time in Halo where there's a marine enemy. And I say enemy in quotes. There's the guy shooting at you who's kind of losing it. 
You can totally ignore it. You don't got to kill him. <laughs> but, okay, yeah. But I, I think d- it's the only time where you get like a red cursor um, and he's considered an enemy, if I remember correctly. I don't remember seeing this guy, but I, it sounds familiar. Yeah, very cool atmosphere. You you get uh, one of my favorite cutscenes in the series where you you know, kind of find a marine helmet and can look at their logs and see what, what they went through coming down here. Um, yeah, it's it's good. Uh, anything else level-wise you want to talk about? Um, no, I think that's about it. The, Like I said, the campaign's not too long. I think it's, what, about 10 to 12 hours? Yeah, if even. If you've played it before, obviously, it's pretty short. It's shorter than that if you're good at it. But, um, yeah, pretty digestible. You could see how this would be, like, the main focus, but then... I think the longevity of the game really is the multiplayer and that sort of just fun party mode (laughs) aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. But like I said, with the multiplayer, you could play the entire campaign in co-op and that adds a lot to (laughs) replayability. Oh yeah. And the, uh, the, uh, modern releases of this game, I think both the Halo CE anniversary and because it's in Master Chief Collection, they include, um, skulls, which would become a feature in the rest of the series, but there are things you can find in the environment, and then they unlock modifiers for you, so you get even more replayability there. Yeah, um, plus the additional difficulties if you are into that. Yeah, uh, I do want to shout out the last thing I think we should talk about: uh, that final uh, driving sequence, and then the the blowing up the pillar of autumn and destroying the ring. It's it's just one of those things where it's just a good, cool way to end the game. <laughs> yeah, it just makes you feel cool. It's so stylish all the way through the sense of climax to it where this is like the final thing you're going to do you're going to run from all these explosions and then blow up the ring yeah absolutely fantastic way to end the game and you could see why they would bring that back (laughs) makes no sense (laughs) like the course you're driving on (laughs) oh yeah no it's just an endless hallway of the same like (laughs) bumps and ramps and stuff like what do they keep it in here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i just, I just want to know what what why any of that exists <laughs> but but it yeah, has it's, to be it's like the whole time. length of the ship right <laughs> yeah presumably right it's also open to space for lots of it yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's a uh, it's cool though that of course um we take one of the big uh they're called long swords one of the big space planes out uh as the pillar of autumn explodes because we rigged it to to destroy the ring and we get a very cool somber cutscene of us flying away as the ring, as the top half of the ring explodes and falls into the bottom half. Again, I don't think that's how space works, but I don't care because it's cool. <laughs> I mean, if this thing has its own atmosphere and continents, then the gravity's got to be pulling something. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Shouldn't it pull it all into the center? Yeah, well, is it orbiting? It still yeah, looks cool as hell. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah, we fly away and we kind of get the Simber cutscene where she says nobody survived, which will be a shock to you when you start Halo 2, because one specific character does. Okay, yeah, this will be interesting for me. (laughs) Which they don't, I'm just going to tell you now, they don't explain and I don't care. (laughs) I think it's great. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but nobody nobody survived uh, and then we get the funniest cutscene of all time, which is Chief pulling off his helmet and the camera zooming up just enough to where his head is not revealed. 
Yes, which was a big mystery for a long time of, oh, what does Chief look like under the helmet? And obviously, in this game, they just didn't model it. (laughs) Um, Using a camera hack later, people were like, oh, he just pulls the helmet off and there's still another helmet underneath. (laughs) It's really good. Good stuff. Have you seen the legendary ending? Did you? I don't think I have. I don't. Like I said, I played this for this review. I played on heroic and that was the hardest difficulty I've ever played this game on. Um, or any game in the series, I think. So, no, I haven't. Okay, so it's it's just a dumb little funny scene of um, Johnson, our Marine commander, and an elite watching the the ship explode, and they just hug each other. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff. But yeah, that's the end of Halo Combat Evolved. Yeah, pretty pretty good game that one. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm sorry the schedule has been a mess. We've both been kind of busy dealing with stuff and things like that. So sorry about that. Um, but next time we talk to you, it will be about Halo Two. Um, so keep your eye on the Twitters and the feeds for updates on that. Yes, we plan to get all of Halo done before the end of the year. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah, well, not all of Halo, all of Bungie Halo. I all think of Bungie our, Halo, those five games. Yeah, we'll 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 get back to three for three later. So yeah, keep keep uh, post on that if you know if you got thoughts on Halo, let, let us know. We're we'll, we'll, happy to to take a look at those. Yeah, you could tweet at us at at Save Station Pod on Twitter is the Twitter to send those to. Uh, where can they find you, Dustin? You can find me at Dustin H Dragon on Twitter, and where can they find you? Uh, I'm at Conifer SSR on Twitter. Awesome, yeah. Um, Thank you for listening, and please remember to always be good to each other. Yeah, and take care. Bye.